Welcome to Dad Rocks, a podcast for dads who love music, made by dads who love music. Hello and welcome to Dad Rocks, the podcast about being a dad and loving music and how the two intersect in our lives. I'm your host, Josh, and today I welcome back Glenn Fant to the show. Uh, as you know, he's a, an old friend of mine, if you heard our previous episode uh, earlier this year. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been talking about having bringing him back onto the show and having some more conversations with him. And so, Glenn, welcome back to Dad Rocks. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Uh, yeah. How's how's life been since the last time we talked uh, about, uh, I guess it was five, six months ago? Right. I You know, it feels like I always think things are going to slow down, but then they don't. <laughs> um, we Did I tell you that we started building a shed? Well, I saw it on Facebook that you there finished you go. Your, you're close to finishing your shed. Yeah, yeah, I put the last shingles on there. So that's probably the big milestone. Other than that, we got a puppy. But um how about how about you? Congratulations. Well, oh, thank you. You know, having a new baby has been exhausting. Um, mainly just I think it's less the baby, uh, and then the the four year old. Um, mm-hmm. you know, keeping him in line and having to basically be the main person for him from, you know, I'm actually sleeping in his room because, you know, my wife's feeding the baby, uh, you know, uh, throughout the night. And um, we only have a two bedroom house. So the baby's in in our bedroom. And so for me to get a good night's sleep, I sleep in my son's, my older son's bedroom. And, you know, so I'm basically with him like all day, all the time. And it's just, it's tiring, man. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, just one of those things where, I'm just, you know, getting getting used to it and and, and whatnot. And I, you know, you understand. You have two kids, and um, it's like I, I. A lot of friends have told me it's like you're not a real parent until you have two kids. Like having uh, one kid's. Like... I don't know about that, but yeah, it is definitely a different experience. Um, you know, oftentimes, yeah. Any, um, I, I look at parents with one kid and pine for you know the freedom of them in the same way that i'm they might be pining for you know looking at friends that have no kids right um it's just like a totally different thing though because you'll i mean as you get a little further into it i think we talked about this a little bit last time but them playing together is just about the coolest thing in the world so it kind of makes up for all the the fighting and the dividing yourself Right. Like in half and giving your attention to your baby and your small child, um, that definitely takes a lot out of you. Yeah, yeah. I I think for for me, like the I guess it's 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 just because uh, they're four years apart. They're basically almost exactly four years apart, and so like my concern is like with playing is like, will my older son when he's like eight want to play with his four year old brother? Like, is that age difference going to be, you know, something? I I don't know. Like they could it could and could not. I'm sure that when they get into that preteen, teenage years stuff. That divide will probably be the most uh, distinct. Maybe, yeah. And then, then when they get into their twenties, you know, it's, it's. I mean, you, you and your and and your brother Pat are uh, what 13, 12 years apart. Yeah, like twelve years apart, and we're close. Yeah, yeah. I saw him recently. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and well, my boys are three years apart, and um, they definitely play. I mean. They've they had to during COVID sort of right. it forced them to have a stronger play relationship than maybe they would have otherwise. But I don't know. I think you probably see a lot of fun play between the two of them. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure my older son is going to be like the funniest person in the world to my younger son. Yes, once, definitely. Once he can realize what is funny um, and stuff. But I mean. For for me, like the I think I I definitely didn't mention to you know anything on the podcast yet, but back in like when my when my the baby was like two three weeks old, I had I ended up getting I had kidney stones. Um, oh my I god! Go through, <laughs> I did go through a whole. So uh, sorry. Thing. That's okay. You know yeah. it's it, it happened. Um, yeah. So I like ended up in in the emergency room because uh, I was just dealing with massive pain and like that that itself sucked, but. Like the whole ordeal of my wife having a three week old and a four year old having to deal with all of that. And like right. my, you know, her, l- luckily her parents were very helpful in, in that. My mom was around for like one day and then she was off on a cruise and she's usually the one who helps out a lot. And like we're right. very fortunate in, in yeah. having parents around, but like, 
just dealing with something like that or like, you know, trying to coordinate how you're going to deal with two kids with one parent and one, you know, one is like a, you know, a tiny infant. Yeah. It's just that whole get, thing is, is crazy. It's like get a high fever in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, have to go to the hospital or something like that. This happened to us a few times. I'm sure it happens to all parents and one's got to stay. One parent's got to stay home with the, um, with the big kid. One's got to take the baby to the hospital. Um, yeah. And then, you know, they'll just give us some aspirin and send us <laughs> exactly. home. You know, by then, the you know, the Tylenol's already kicked in and the fever's dropping. But it's, right. you know, it's it's always it's always hard to think about how you, you know, that you have a limited set of resources, you know, your time, right. uh, your finances. And now with two, it's just split it Fresh. right down the middle. But you can't do that, really, because, yeah. you know, you're baby needs lots of time and attention right now but yeah we had when harley was three and we had the new baby at home he would he would literally like you know he was interested in like you know playing with the baby and all that stuff but then he'd be like okay you put the baby down and then play with me like <laughs> yeah we, <laughs> old enough to say that explicitly you know yeah, we, I, I got that last night it's like no you come up and you 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 stay in my bedroom don't help mommy out like stay up here like it was bedtime like he you know he yeah. had to go to sleep but he was just like no no stay in stay in my bedroom don't you know don't worry about mommy or like he's been he'd be like leave baby at home like you know and kind of yeah. stuff <laughs> like, yeah um, that's but normal overall, i think but no, yeah but no, overall he you know uh, he they he really does like having a brother and um it's 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 crazy you know just to see a lot of stuff uh and the interactions and or you know the the desire to have attention um you know in coming coming out in like a handful of ways and i don't know i feel bad because i've just been so burnt out and i know we talked about this last time about just like losing you know tempers and just getting mm -hmm. so frustrated yeah. and i just find myself i think between the because the fact i deal with kids all day and i come home to kids um yep. you know it definitely adds a uh, level of frustration and just like you know when i have certain classes that aren't listening and then i come home to a kid who's not listening it's like ah like i just well, find myself in the classroom, like step away a bunch your attention is being drawn in a million different directions all yes. the time or at least that's what it was like for me and that in itself is exhausting right you're making all these managerial oh, yeah. decisions constantly and then yeah at home now two kids it really it's like we had some chaos before let's throw some more chaos in there <laughs> see what happens and so it's just that the baby's crying over here or one kid's doing this thing yeah. another's happening over here there's a tv on there's a toy making a sound my add is like <laughs> screaming uh, it can cause a lot of anxiety, definitely. Yeah. Um, and it can become just so hectic in the house. And just I'll give an example. I'm in charge of the morning routine for the most part because Amory's classroom teacher. So she goes yeah. in early. Um, she gets a lot of stuff ready for them, their lunches, and it's a huge help. But ultimately, I've got to get their shoes on yeah. and get them into the car. And it's, you know, hurting cats is the term. It really feels real because I'm like, get one into their shoes and now the other one's wandered off and, you know, they're they're my kids. So they're just like me, uh, just <laughs> like, hey, what's that over there? And it's like, you know, get distracted and just trying to get them out the door. It's just, you know, by the time I get them to school and the hectic um, morning of that 15 minutes to just, you know, get to school right. <laughs> into the car and then out of the car. When they close the door, it's just like this this quiet I turn off the radio and just like it's it's calm. And the, yeah. you get what? Well, actually now that I work at home, I get a lot of that quiet <laughs> calm. Time. Yeah. I but just going back to what you said about like, you know, your attention and the you know, how how it just kinda, you know, seeps, you know, I for me it just zaps my energy. Like I I'll have a, a day where I'll have uh, a whole bunch of, you know, a couple of older elementary and then like maybe a middle school class and then i have like a first grade or a kindergarten class um and it just totally like that that one class like her, you know dealing with all those kids will just take my energy level and just evaporate it like mm -hmm. and then you're going home tired and i i think you know 
we're not going to get, you know, we don't want to talk about teaching too much, but just like if you have kids like and they're draining you at home, imagine having 20 of them in a classroom and there's yeah. one of you and, you know, that that is, you know, that's what teaching is like, you know, and, and, and for some people it's like six hours a day with the same people. And for me, it's like, you know, different classes and stuff, but it's just, you know, I think having kids and just dealing with kids is just so exhausting. And like, you know, with one, it was, it was manageable because there's yeah. two people, yeah, at least for us, you know, ha- you know, having a spouse in the house and, and for people who have, you know, grandparents who are around, it's, that's even better. Um, but once you add another one in, man, it's just like, whew. right. It's just amazing how, but like, I think, and I haven't experienced this, but I've, I've been told and I, I've, there must be a reason why people have nine kids because they, <laughs> they do eventually start being very helpful for their siblings. And, yeah. um, you know, well, we got this puppy and the, I am taking care of the puppy, like, you know, and, and Amory takes care of the puppy. She takes him out in the morning and, yeah. you know, but I'm with him all day. Um, but Jamie took him out in the uh, yesterday morning, put on his little jacket um, and waited with him until he pooped while I took a shower. It was like the coolest thing. I was like, you're actually, you know, you're you're part yeah. of the solution here, not a part of the, the problem and taking on responsibilities and. Uh, when their cousins are around, they want to help with babies. You know, they're, yeah. they're really interested in it. So I could see um, if there were like a baby in the house, a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, you know, being able to really help manage that, I, you know, after after three or four months, you know, right, right, right. change diapers, right. stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, David helps out definitely with like when my wife says, hey, do you want to do bath time? you know, with the baby and he's like, yeah. And so he'll help out with, you know, bath time and mm-hmm. help clean and, and stuff like that. And I think that helps just bond him to his brother a little more because we've been kind of very, you know, maybe too much. So like, don't touch the baby with your hands, wash mm-hmm. your hands constantly, you know, cause he's going to daycare and we're trying to prevent, we had, you know, the baby had a cold like week three or four, and right. like had white snot coming out. We're like, what is going on? Like this was like right after I had my kidney stones. And yeah. Like, should we bring him to the hospital? And I was like, I don't want to go back to a hospital for a very long time mm-hmm. if need be. But it was, you know, scary because, you know, David didn't have a cold till he was six months. And so now we're dealing with a cold at like one month. And right. that's a whole different ball game. Right. Um, you can't really completely insulate yourself when you have a child in daycare and preschool. Right. It's oh, yeah. it's I mean, you, you're being careful and I think it does make sense to take those, those precautions, but it's, um, it's sort of like a whole different ball game than kid number one, because yeah, you could completely wrap a bubble around them and sort of keep them insulated, but they're getting all those germs that their older sibling is bringing home. Um, same way you are as a parent, I don't like daycare, um, really hurt me and gave me knocked me uh my tail a few times with the flu and stuff like that or what they call it parents call it like the daycare plague yeah well rsv is the big one that's going around now right now. right we david had that when he was like a year right before covid Mm -hmm. and that jamie too and it was like it put my mom who was you know for our former school nurse on her on her on her butt like she was like out for a week it like ran her ran her over oh really i didn't know it affects adults like that yeah, it can. It can. Oh. Uh, older adults, I think. Um, but yeah, it was just, it's, I mean, yeah. I mean, part of me is like, great. You know, he's going to be exposed to all these viruses that he wouldn't when he, until he was older. Maybe he'll have a stronger immune system. But at the same time, it's like it just causes more chaos. And Right. You know. It's true. It's amazing how these little immune systems can just sort of squash something. And, and then, but then it'll come around to us and yeah. it'll knock us out for days. I we had hand, foot, and mouth went through our household yeah, over the summer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Wait, I, with you had you had uh, with the your boys had it. Uh, yes. I, I thought I thought they don't get it like that old. Um, we all got it. It oh, was God. we were on a vacation with family, and our cousin had a fever on the first night. Uh, you know, he's like three, and uh, is this and James's kids? This is James's son. Yeah. And next day he's feeling fine. Right. For him, it was nothing. Um, and then Jamie got it. I got it. I was just, you know, relatively lethargic, but Jamie got 
spots all over his hands, spots all over his feet. He was sick for two days of the vacation, you know, throwing up and all that stuff. Um, he, he tends to get hit harder by these things. Um, and then actually a few months later, no, six weeks later, his fingernails started to fall off. What? Because Wait, what? RSV attacked his nail beds. Or not RSV, hand, I'm sorry, hand, hand foot, foot mouth. mouth. Yes. Hand foot mouth attacked his nail beds and damaged his nail beds and oh they regenerated. So but uh yeah, all of his fingernails shed oh is what the doctors call it. Oh but yeah, God. he had it was it was wild. And he was such <laughs> such a trooper about it. He's like, you know, had band-aids on his fingers. Yeah. He's like, Oh yeah, my fingernails are falling off, no big deal. I'm like I'm like, this is <laughs> Like out of a horror story for me, you know, like horror gags that involve people's fingernails yeah, are yeah, like yeah, the yeah. things that kill me. Oh, um, yeah. But anyway, it wasn't as gruesome as I make it sound, but no, but it, it's still hand foot mouth. The hand foot mouth is no joke. Like David had it when he was like a little baby. Uh, I don't know. I guess it was right after he started going to daycare mm-hmm. and maybe even earlier. I don't remember how he even got it, but like he. He didn't. It affected his his feet. Like he had blisters on his feet, and he couldn't sleep. And I was like sleeping with him, and because, mm-hmm. and then my and then my wife got it, and she had it in her throat real bad. I somehow did not get it. Uh, maybe right. I had it when I was younger. Um, but yeah, it's no joke, man. It's it's it sucks. Um, but you know, that's just part of. It's like part of the admission for. Yeah. Visiting with family. That's sort of like after. I mean, that happened before COVID, but I didn't think about it. You know, I think. Right. After COVID, I'm more like, oh, cause and effect. We went here, we got sick, um, right. and and every time we see family, because we were all these little kids in the family, we all pick up something, and right. and we're trying to be safe as possible with with COVID. Although that's sort of you know in the rear view a lot with us, um, but yeah, it's just yeah, it's wild. Also, you know, I guess we should also. I, I also, I'm curious, how's your band doing? I know you guys played a couple of gigs recently, and uh... oh, cool, yeah. Um, recent history is, you know, it's going well. We played at a bar, the Progression Brewery here in uh, Northampton. The scene here is very uh, micro brew centric. It's like mm. there's all these breweries, and they have bands play these like two hour sets. I'm not used to this sort of thing. So we brought in um, my friend Aaron's band, Senate from Boston, and they played one of the sets for you know with us. So we split the night with them, but it was good. Yeah. Um, actually, our drummer is about to enter the Two Children Club. Mm. Uh, so we had band practice last night, and pro- probably be the last time we have band practice for you know a month or so because yeah. he's going to start paternity leave, and we're. I'm going to lay low for most of the winter um, specifically, you know, like try and keep his uh, infant from getting RSV or, you know, not doing shows, um, stuff like that. So we did start recording in the summer. We recorded a bunch of drums, like seven or eight songs. And um, we've only released one single so far and we have another one in the can pretty much ready to go. And so we have like five more songs that we're going to, spend the winter sort of recording guitars and doing vocals and mixing them. So we have a lot of stuff ready. And so, yeah. Are you doing that all in-house or you, like someone's house? Or are you going to a studio and stuff? I do a mixture. So my process has sort of evolved to save money by, you know, doing a lot of the recording at home, guitars direct into um, a preamp or something, and then uh, reamping it in the studio later. Right. Um, and then, but we'll start with drums in the studio, get a nice live room. And because I can't record drums in our yeah, practice you need, space. You need a, a, a good drum, good drum sound requires a good, good room or, yeah. or, or an and engineer who knows how to mic a, a room really well. Exactly. So I've never really messed around with that. So I always get someone else to do the drums and then, um, and then we'll come back in and I'll do vocals in the studio and typically have it mixed by a mix engineer because I can't really do that either. So I'd save a lot of time on guitar and bass and auxiliary stuff. A lot of the program I've been doing a lot more synthesizers, stuff like that, mm-hmm. like drum machines. Um, so I'll do that at home. Cool. Yeah, well, that's exciting. You know. Yeah, I it's, got to, it's cool. I I got to play music like two times in within a week 
you know, for the nice. first time in like a year. <laughs> I think great. I saw something about that. Yeah. 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 I, I played with my cover band. We just did like an open mic, which uh, our, one of the guys in the band helps run. And it was outdoors. So I was like, okay. And it was like, nice. it was like a one hour slot. It was like, it was during the week, but I, but I was able to run out basically thankfully my, my bandmates set up my drum set because i had you know i have to be i had to be home because the baby was like two weeks old you know yeah. at that point so i ran out um played we had not practiced we had the three of them had played a gig we were supposed we had we played like this porch fest stuff uh thing uh-huh. that i don't know it's like a thing i don't know if it's in massachusetts Super they Jersey. do that in, in yeah. the boston area we might yeah. try and get them to start it out here in western mass so we had played it last year and that was like the last gig we had played as a band and then we had got it again but it was literally the day my son was born and we oh had my God. Like, I, like that was like the whole thing of am i going to play it or not are we going to do this in a full band they ended up doing it as acoustic thing which worked out because my son was born that day um so three of them had like practiced but myself and the bass player had not played with any of them in a long t- in a year i hadn't played with anybody in a year we didn't practice. We just came up with a set list and practiced on our own, and then we just crushed it. Like nice, liter- like the endings were, you know, not perfect, but everything else was, you know, there because we had played, you know, we had played yeah. so much before. It's just one of those amazing things. And then I actually got went to a, a local, like um, I went to my hometown, uh, Roseland. They have like a, a fall fest, and um, some uh, family friends of mine. Um, I don't know if you remember Chris Bolger. Um, he was a fr- fr- family friend. He played guitar. He judged the Battle of the Bands at West Essex a couple times. Um, okay. He, he played with R. Stevie Moore. Uh, he was like a he was the he like he's well connected in the New Jersey scene and stuff like that. Um, but I played a couple cover gigs with him before. Oh, nice. He always likes to bring me up. And uh, Ed Alstrom, who was a family friend, he was a guest on this this podcast. He was playing with Chris that day. And then Dennis Dykin from the Smithereens, the drummer from the Smithereens, was playing with them as well. And I just showed up because I wanted to see them play. And um, they see Chris sees me there, and the second set he's like, "Come on up!" And like, so I yeah. sat on, played Dennis Dykin's, you know, drums for two two songs, no rehearsal. Oh and wow! Again, just it was. What just, songs did you play? We played um, "September Girls" by Big Star, which I know very well, and then, oh. It was a Beatles uh, song, and I don't remember. Um, well, I'm sure you could hang on any Beatles song. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it was just like, That's but it so was cool. also locking in with guys that you never really play and just like, you know, sitting in, like it just felt good. And like, and again, I hadn't, I played that one gig, but otherwise I hadn't played with anyone. And it's just like, yes, That's you know, so I want to cool. play. Um, you know, because we've been really, I've just been overly cautious in general about playing any indoor stuff. And then with the new baby, it was definitely, mm-hmm. you know, ramped up and uh but yeah now it's we were so we my band was offered potentially a, a party gig and that it got uh they decided to go with another band but i was like all geared up for that I'm like oh yeah i'm gonna play music again even if it's in it's just like the yeah bug, you know came back and it's just finding time and finding people to play with if you don't already have your people and stuff like that and, and scheduling it yeah i mean like it takes a lot of effort for me at least to 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 initiate and set up a show i don't I don't know if you have to do that or people just ask you to come play drums with them. I mean, I don't think a lot of people, because I haven't been active and like, you know, it's tough because of the scheduling and having two kids and having a job and having a wife who, you know, um, does, you know, she wants me to, it's not like she doesn't want me to go play, but she also like, as we talked about in our last conversation, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be here. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you're playing. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing some more and, and whatnot. This is Brendan Benson, and you're listening to Dad Rocks. So, uh, Glenn, I, you know, we had been talking about, you know, you coming back on the show and, and we've been tossing around ideas uh, to talk about. And one of the one of the topics that I've wanted to talk about with you, especially, uh, is, you know, being a f- fanatic of a band or, you know, having that uh, obsession with an artist or a band, uh, because both of us, when we were in middle school, high school, were obsessed with uh, specific bands uh you, you myself with Ben Folds 5 
and yeah. you with uh, the Smashing Pumpkins. That's right. And, <laughs> um, you know, and I also, you know, also just fandom in general, like thinking about how you become like a hardcore fan of a band and then it, sometimes it just evaporates. Like, you know, I was, I remember for an art class, I, I had, you know, we had those folders that you could draw on to like, you know, basically uh you know represent yourself or whatever and i made one year i made like a rusted root one where i like put all their like you know symbols on there and did like right. the cover of of when i woke um and then like the next year was like scroll nut zippers and it's like you know i was really uh, into these bands yeah yeah but then like you just fall out of uh, out of it with it and and so you know we get, we'll talk about this but like you know i remember distinctly you know being because we played together and we hung out a lot um you were just totally you know you liked a lot of bands but smashing pumpkins was like your thing especially um i mean for a lot of kids our age or a lot of people our age uh melancholy and the infinite sadness really you know hit home with a lot of people but for right. you know you were already a big fan <laughs> of smashing pumpkins and then it just kind of like escalated from there yeah um, that album defined what was that 95 i mean yeah it was 96 like 95 96 yeah it came out in october okay so we had a halloween party at my house and i was new to the the area and um kevin satin you remember kevin yep he brought over a cassette tape a double cassette tape of melancholy and we listened to it like after the party sort of ended um because we had music and like bands played like why i wasn't at that party you were already friends i don't know i something i must have been invited and i just didn't go you were definitely invited yeah yeah so anyway this this moment for me was huge like it was i mean i was like you said i was already a fan of the smashing pumpkins but there was definitely like a before and after sort of that moment melancholy and it's it subsumed me it was like my whole identity i felt like Billy Corgan and I were sort of like the same guy. Like, would you really, you know, like he is me, you know, when I get older, cause he was so angsty on, on those records. Um, I always, I think that smashing pumpkins are really one of the first like emo bands. Cause they were mm. so angsty and I really, really, really resonated with me. And he had a very, I mean, he still does have a very distinct voice, like a nasally sort yeah. of voice. And I've also as a singer, you know, have this, different voice it's sort of i guess nasally and i sort of at the time was very uncomfortable with my voice and sort of trying to lat i latched on to his voice and said like oh i can sing like him and that's cool and and the funny thing is like people either love the smashing pumpkins or they hate them and it typically rides on billy corgan's voice kind of um, like rush right you know it's like <laughs> right yeah so they're like, oh, I can't stand his voice. And at times I can't stand his voice either. So um, because that's the thing, like you talk about fandom, like it's it it almost become becomes like um like you're obligated, you know, like to yeah. like keep up with a band. Like, you know. Um and back and back then it was it was harder to get information because like the internet mm-hmm. was just becoming a real thing. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of total, like, I'm sure there was fan sites, but like message boards were not a big, there was chat rooms on AOL, but like not a lot of message boards or hardcore, you probably could find them, but right. I don't know if you were involved with any of them. I know I wasn't, you know, at the time, but in that sense, it was also easier to be a fan because you either just joined the fan club and mm-hmm. got whatever stuff they put out and just like kept up to date when they were coming to town and like wore their shirt and, and bought their, their, their clothes and just kind of like, you know, were you know, showed off for them. Like, you know, you basically were promoting them in front of other people and like defending them. But yeah. that, nowadays it's like, you have to follow them on this and this and this and this and this. You have to be up. It's like, there's so much stuff out there. And like, or, did you hear this news thing that just came out? It's like, well, and plus the more you get to know these celebrities, the you know because they do all these interviews that you the the less you're interested in in them as people or the like billy corgan's a good example um because i he did like an interview with alex jones Hmm. um and and was talking about you know his experience seeing a record executive turn into a lizard person or you know like transform (laughs) and 
I he he could be running a bit. It could be like a right. Andy Kaufman sort of thing. He's kind of out there like that. Um, and because he likes professional wrestling, he's like an investor in that as well, and mm. has a team. So it's like that. What is real? What is not? Yeah. Um, thing might be going on, but it's a little too out there for me to even kind of flirt with right. Alex Jones and the Info Wars. And so then you're just like, I wish I didn't know this about you, or I don't know who is the Andy uh, Dicky from the Mighty Mighty Bostones. He's oh, like oh, anti. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I know. I don't know his name, but I know you're talking about. Yeah. He's like you know the band just broke up because he's all anti-vax and stuff like that, and it's mm. got to be tough for a fan of the Mighty Mighty Bostones to that is not super anti-vax to to deal with the fact that there's their one of their heroes is you know a bonehead. Yeah. <laughs> Or that he's drank the the Kool Aid, like he's he's part of the cult, you know. Now, so you know, for me, like when I was when we were in middle school, and we talked about this briefly, um, you know, in the last time we talked, how you kind of helped introduce me to Ben Folds Five. I'd seen the the music video for Battle of Who Could Care Less, and I just didn't know the name. I didn't catch the name perfectly. I knew it said like Ben Olds Ive or something like that. Like <laughs> right. I didn't know like. I thought it was like Ben holds knives or something like I don't know, but you you know you told me and then I went and bought the album. This is before Brick came out, so I was like a huge Ben folds five like it that that album whatever and ever Amen. I didn't even know about the first album. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that just changed my life and that band became my thing. It was like they are my band, that is my thing, and not many people, if any, knew about them like at the school. Right, they were playing it on William Patterson College Radio. I you get, know, like I, yeah, that's yeah. that's what I would we would we would that's how I heard of them first. I think. Really, yeah. Oh. So I mean, like they were they were doing well on the college scene, right? But they hadn't, but like you know, not, hadn't blown but no up one, yet. No one, no one, no one our age in eighth, seventh, eighth grade was li- listening to them until Brick hit, right? Um, and you know, there were some people who like some of our friends who were getting into him and like, you know, I was like, yeah, this is fine. And then it got, I didn't, I didn't stop liking them. Cause there was times like I was also a big Dave Matthews band fan, like in later, you know, late elementary into early middle school, saw them for like my bar mitzvah present was like mm-hmm. really, really into Dave Matthews band. And then for some reason, like once everyone liked them a lot, like I stopped liking them with Ben folds five, it was like, Brick happened and I, I got, and, and this is where my like hipster ish, like n- I didn't realize I was like, that. I mean, I yeah. knew it was like it, but like, I wasn't, a, I didn't know it was a hipster or whatever you want to classify it as. <laughs> I would get annoyed. I would get like mad that these people who I perceived didn't, you know, and this is just me, of course, being, I guess, an asshole in, in a certain way. Or like, being a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Just like, what, what do these people know about music? Like. Why are they listening to this band? Now this band is not as good as like, you know, they, yeah. I almost like stopped, right. you know, listening to, um, you know, did you ever feel that way about with, with Smashing Pumpkins or you just like anyone, everyone, I just want to talk about them to whoever likes them. Right. No, I just, I wanted them to be the biggest band in the world and they were already sort of on that trajectory, yeah. you know, big arena band. And I thought that was cool. Um, I wanted to go to those shows, you know, like, yeah, I, I like same thing with like Foo Fighters. Like they were getting bigger and bigger. We saw them at like the Roseland Ballroom on one mm-hmm. of their first tours. And um and I just thought it was so cool that wow, this band that to me seemed like I don't know, it's like why of course Dave Grohl is gonna be in one of the biggest bands ever after Nirvana. Right. But I thought it was like, oh, this band I discovered because like I followed the drummer for Nirvana and you know, <laughs> just like as they they're playing Wembley. Right. That's the giant stadium in yeah, London. Yeah. And I was watching a video of it and I felt like like proud of them. <laughs> <laughs> so proud of you guys. You really made it. Right. Well, you know, it's it's ironic in that sense, too, because like I remember, you know, this is when I'm older, obviously, but like when I did, my cousin turned me on to the Black Keys before they were anyone knew who they were. Mm-hmm. And then we started I started going to shows like three years in a row. I saw them at Irving Plaza like in 2006. 2007 saw them at um i guess it's now closed the nokia theater in times square so it's like progressively getting bigger and then i saw them at terminal five and then like the next year they just exploded right you know and so like seeing that it's like really cool like you're very proud of like the band 
like going up and up. And then I just get like disenfranchised. Like I just like I'm like this band is too big. I'm not paying to like I've seen them at such small cl- like in a, I mean right. like a band like the Black Keys I feel like is different than a band like Foo Fighters, you know, in the in the in the fact that it's like a two man band and seeing them in a, in an intimate space is like totally different. Yeah, um, and you'll and never seeing, be able to do that again. Right, right, and then, but you know, I I I, I guess. You know, going going back to the, like to where did, at what point you know because obviously they put out you know we played what did we play Cherub Rock or we tried to play Cherub Rock I just yeah. couldn't handle the drum recent part when history I was has been playing a pretty awesome version of Cherub nice. Rock and I actually got to say um, so like when when we talk about fandom and and you like a band that not everyone else likes or I feel like the Smashing Pumpkins are like this where they sort of get hated hated on a little bit mm-hmm. uh rightly so in a lot of cases but like you know it, as a fan you're sticking by them anyway when you meet someone who is also a fan and you know can appreciate oh they're kind of you know they're a little billy corgan's a little ridiculous yeah. um but they still still enjoy the fandom of it um it's really cool and so i met this guy uh ryan out here in western mass and he's like got a billy corgan like a guitar that he modded mm-hmm. to look like billy corgan's but he's a lefty um he we play chair rock he aces the solo note nice. for note just you know and it's it's just so cool because i just you know like as a pumpkins fan um there it's kind of lonely you know like i remember riding around in the bank camaro van on tour and people would you know like give me crap for liking the smashing pumpkins like you know um they just they don't get a lot of respect and that I think that they are deserving of, but they're also kind of, you know, Billy Corgan's a, a weirdo. So they also mm-hmm. rightly so get derided. A good example is this new music video. It's a really good song. If you haven't watched it yet, he walks out in this giant white gown like he's like the queen on a chessboard <laughs> and just ruins it instantly. Otherwise, there's a lot of cool <laughs> stuff happening in it and you're just like you know, face palm. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, but, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, no. I was just gonna say that, that there's a certain point where with, with like a band like the Smashing Pumpkins or even, or from my experience where they stop putting out music that is as relevant to you yeah. as when you were a teenager, when music was super relevant and you're fine, you move on to other things. Right. But that I, I continually keep track of them. And I feel like I, I owe them a listen for every album they put out. You know, like we had this really great thing in high school. I was obsessed <laughs> with you. And now I'm going to hold a, you know, a, a flame for you. But, you know, expect disappointment too, um, right. because they haven't released anything nearly as good as the the 90s stuff, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, that that's the other thing I want to talk about. Because like, so with Ben Folds, Ben Folds 5, right? Ben Folds 5 broke up. And was it Halloween 2000, right? And it broke my, I cried. I like nice. cried that night just listening to their albums. You know, I'd seen, I, I was lucky enough as a 16 year old, I got to see them twice because they were pretty much playing, you know, 21 and over clubs. That is so cool. Um, I never got to and, see them as a, and like I saw them, they opened for Beck uh, once um, and out in like Jones Beach. We went out there and then I saw them at uh, Central Park, which was like th- that show was. One of my favorite shows ever. It was, uh, it had the squirrel nut zipper horns and a few guys from the Klezmatics as like a horn section, and it had like a, a a string quartet, and it was just like they, it was it was such a great show, um, but then they broke up, and then Ben Folds puts out, you know, like Rock in gotten, the suburbs, right? But so before he it officially came out, you know, this was a time of Napster, and someone like got a hold of it, like uh, that we knew, and we were listening to him like this is not good this is crap like this is not- yeah and then eventually you know i listened to when i it came out i bought it and listened to it and i was like because i originally i was like this can't be the album this is not the album yeah and um it was the album and it was great and then it is so good but i didn't right, right. like it back then so well see so, so like so here's the here's the interesting thing so like i became more obsessed like it became like in college i don't know if it, i think it was partly because of there was two things that happened so Obviously, his album comes out on uh, 9-11, you know, that, that, you know, there's impact of that. But really, like, I started getting involved after I bought that album uh, on this message board called benfolds.org. And so I became part of a community 
of like Ben Folds crazy people. Cool. And it became like a thing, especially when he started to do his solo shows, like his truly solo shows. Like to be like, oh, who can get the set list? Who can be up front? Like what what shows are you seeing? What what songs are you hearing type thing? And you know, I got to see him. I saw him on the Rock in the Tub- Suburbs tour with a full band, which was like great. And then when he started to do these solo shows, it was like the coolest thing because it was really intimate. He was playing small. I mean, I saw him at 930 Club one night in, in the summer. The next night we drove up to New York and saw him at Roseland Ballroom. And that show to me was not as good, but most of the songs have been released like on some you know, recording or not. Like the Ben Folds live album, four of the tracks are from the Roseland Ballroom show, three are from the 930 Club show. And then like over the course of a bunch of years, the Roseland Ballroom show songs have just been released like in oh, dribs cool. and drabs. So it was really cool to be at those two shows. And then, you know, I kept going to those solo shows. And then after a while, it just became like, all right, you know, it was cool in the beginning, you know, it felt like it was a, you know, a really cool thing. And then suddenly a lot of people, again, this is my stupid, you know, I guess selfishness or hipsterish, hipsterishness, like more people are going to this. He's playing bigger venues and he's doing the same thing. And this is just like, I'm done with this. Like, when is he going to get a band again kind of deal? Mm-hmm. And I just got burnt out. Like I got burned out because he wasn't like the material. He's put out these EPs that were like pretty good. And, you know, it just, I, I got like. I had seen him so many times between 2001 and 2000, the beginning of 2003. I like, I took the whole calendar year off of like 2003, stopped listening to him altogether. Like, like made you know, a resolution. Like it was almost like a conscious decision to like, wow, I'm not like listening to him. And then 2004 came and I saw him a bunch of times again and got right back into it. And they played with a band. But what you were saying about the content of material, like when, so he he puts out Rock in the Suburbs and then he does this whole like solo solo stuff and he starts mm-hmm. he puts out a couple of EPs and then he puts out this album Songs for Silverman which is solid he has a band now he's playing with a band again um but it just was like I don't know man like his voice changed and the songs were good but they weren't probably you know I don't know if they weren't as good or if it's just like for me my fanaticism had had lowered Though everyone was saying, oh, they're not as good as, you know, those Ben Folds five songs and stuff. Um, and then he the, the albums he kept putting out just progressively kind of got not as good. And like it just felt like he was I don't know. And I kind of slowly lost interest. Like you throw on a Ben Folds five album, though, and I'm like, I'm, it's great. But even when they, re, re, you know, when even when they reunited, I saw them live and it was great. But their album was just like it was good, but it wasn't like. What There's I some was really good tracks for. on that album. Well, on the uh, the life and the uh, life, uh, was it the mind of the uh, the one with the the thinker the, sitting yeah. on the, the no. There's yeah. some really good stuff, but I think probably in the same vein as you with the Smashing Pumpkins, it's hard to determine almost or to to realize how good a song is when you are you are uh, comparing it to songs that changed your life, right? Yeah, your expectation. I mean, yeah. what what is it? What do I want out of this this new Smashing Pumpkins song? Right, like I want, I want those big Jimmy Chamberlain drums. I want you know, thick guitars and riffs. But you know, ultimately, what I get is like Jimmy Chamberlain playing a really simple beat, and it's it good. It's effective. It's what a good drummer would do. But I want the magic of the 90s and when i was a teenager right and so i think a lot of it is we're trying to recapture a feeling um that we got you know it's a and as as we mature and change our perceptions of the music is changing and and it's it's like never gonna you're never gonna recapture that magic the same artist could put out stuff that is objectively good but you won't enjoy it as much as someone who maybe comes to it later, who doesn't have all that early fandom baggage to carry with them. You know what I mean? Right. Um, And and I see that, you know, in myself with like picking up bands like my morning jacket later in their career, you know, getting into them during when evil urges came out. Like mm -hmm. I I knew I had Z I had Okanokas like 
uh, through someone gave it to me and I, I, I liked it. But then like when I heard evil urges, it was like, oh, this is amazing. And then I got into them. Whereas everyone was talking about like those first three albums were it like nothing. Right. You know, everything else is just like garbage compared to that. So I see it from both sides. And, you know, you're, you're right. It's like this expectation of what you loved. And it's it's almost like nostalgia, right? You're trying to re you're, you're hoping that you re something from the past comes back. Yeah. Um, and and as I get older, I think it's, you know, I have to just understand it's OK to not like your one of your favorite artists music like the new music. It's okay. You can still like them and you can still appreciate their music without yeah. being like in love with their new album. And, you know, I've taken it to like some bands. I'm still going to like buy the album without really hearing it. But now there's a bunch that I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to buy this album. Like I didn't buy the new black keys album, even though I have like, I love all their older mm -hmm. stuff. And I bought like even the album let's rock, which is like, okay. I bought it like almost like, Oh, I should have this album. It's like, I don't have to have the album. Like it's okay right. not to have the album. Like I didn't have this, this one Ben folds album. So there, uh, which is what he did with like the orchestral mm -hmm. stuff, uh, with why music. I didn't have it for a long time. And then a buddy of mine was at a store and it was like on sale. I'm like, just go pick it up for me. Like just grab it. I'll pay you for it. Right. Like I barely listened to it, but I'm like, I should have it. Um, but yeah, it's it's frustrating because, you know, you want to love the the artists that you love and everything they put out because it's like there's this connection to it, but it's tough at times. But I mean, that, it, yeah. I'll give you another example. Uh this band the Dismemberment Plan. Mm -hmm, um, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got so obsessed with them in in college. It started a little bit in high and at the end of high school we saw them a few times. I must have seen them I don't know, six or seven times between 2000 and 2003. And they were amazing. They were just like on top of their game. There were a lot of yeah. energy. But Anne-Marie and I saw them when they reunited or something. And it was like a New Year's show. And we're much older. So we're like, oh, we got to go out on a New Year's. You know, like yeah. we bought the tickets. But then yeah. we're like regretting it the day of. It's cold out. And it was just, they were, they were great. They were really, they did a good job. But. It was for me, I didn't have the energy that I wanted to experience, you know, like that, that I would, that I would bring to that live show. I wasn't, I wasn't a high, uh, high school or college kid anymore. And so it, it was so disappointing because I had all these great experiences with them. But when, when the expectation of that memory doesn't jive with the reality, it can be very disappointing. Sort of like these, like, lord of the rings shows you do you watch these things right no i just don't have time to watch much <laughs> it's oh, just like or the like, the dragon you know, I, show yeah i you know what i i i haven't had the time to invest into in in those and you know what i feel like the last couple seasons of uh game of thrones kind of was just like eh. like I'm, I'm more just i mean it sucks because it's just you know i've listened to the books and i'm like i just want the books to come out and find out what he really wanted to happen rather than yeah keep waiting guys. yeah <laughs> But I know what you mean. I, but I, I totally know what you mean. It's like, you know, and in some respects, it's like when bands have these two versions of themselves. Like, you know, big, I'm a big Black Crows fan, right? There's mm -hmm. their 1990s stuff is different than their mid 2000s stuff. And because they had that five year hiatus where they broke up or whatever they stopped playing and then they came back and had a different sound and and I like their stuff but there's a it's for people who may you know like again with Ben Folds right he's his style of writing has changed his sound has changed and if you're not open to it it's like that's that's like a disconnect there and you know kind of can affect your feelings on an artist in in, in some ways like for me there's uh i'm trying to think of another band like you know i was obsessed with the band little feet for a very long time uh for like uh, i got into them like in my early mm -hmm. 20s and then like i just couldn't for whatever reason when they the sound changed or like lowell george wasn't as involved with the writing like the albums you know they're objectively not as good as like the early ones but it's just like i don't want to listen to any of this like i just want to listen to the early stuff and it's like yeah it's it's uh you know can i like these albums like you know it's almost like can i like the band without liking these albums you know that's and you can 
Yeah. I mean, right? Yeah. I went on a tear and listened to a bunch of Thomas Dolby yesterday. Mm-hmm. His whole catalog. You know, I liked him in the 80s. You know, I'm talking about Blind to yeah, Be yeah, With yeah, Science. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but he's also sort of, you know, become more uh, active in his older age. So he's released a few records since 2007, eight or something like that. And I was trying them on again. I was like, oh, you know, I haven't listened to these in a while. And sorry, Thomas. <laughs> Yeah. I just can't, you know, like it, but I shouldn't feel, I it, you shouldn't feel obligated necessarily right. to like, to stick it through. But I do feel that, like, I know I shouldn't feel like I should like this, or if I listen to it again, then I will. Um, or, or like, he'll never know if I turn it off or I switch or another example, I'm reading this new Stephen King book. I probably read almost every single Stephen King book. And now at this point, it's really, they're nowhere near as they, good as they were when he was writing in the 80s. But um, I'm like 500 pages through a 800-page book, and I'm just like, I have to do this because we've had such good times, me and yeah, Stephen yeah, King. Yeah. we got to finish this book together, yeah. and I'm going to put it on my wall, on my, on my, my bookshelf, and, um, and add it to the collection because I'm a fan, you know? Yeah. But I mean, it is it is always disappointing when you don't connect with either new music, especially when it's like within the like the span of their you know their apex, you know, when of their career and stuff. Mm. You know, I'm a big Toad the Wet Sprocket fan. I you know was really into them in the late '90s. Loved you know uh, Fear and Dulcinea and Coil. Like their first two albums were, I didn't really connect with as much. And then they broke up for a whole bunch of years and they just did like, you know, reunion shows with no new material. And then they put out a new album in like 2007, eight. And I was just like, like I like Glenn Phillips solo work. And then mm-hmm. this one just, just like, eh, like I, yeah. there's something that's not, I don't know what it is, but it's just like, maybe it's me. Maybe it's, it's, it's whatever. It's just, you know, that, that connection. But like another band, going back to Dave Matthews band, it was ironic because as, as they became much more popular and everyone in, in our high school was like going to the giant stadium shows and whatnot, it was almost like a perfect time because their music to me got less interesting. Like it became like, I just, it was probably the confluence of two things at once happening, but I just like after half, I couldn't, like I loved half of Before These Crowded Streets and then everything after was just like, this is, I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I don't it's, know. Did, like, did you but you let that, it go with them. It's interesting. I, right? We latch I, I, on to some and we yeah. let some go. Well, I think for me, I let it go because it became, for me, like I would see these people who didn't seemingly know, at least in my mind, were not into music. And they just became so popular. Yeah. It's just like, I'm like. It I, became a whole caricature. Uh, yeah. Dave, Dave Matthews Band Bro. You well, know. and then, yeah, and then the whole thing, I remember talking to one of our classmates, I'm not going to say her name, but we were in art class together, and she's like, I just love going to these shows so I can get drunk and high, and I'm just like, this is why I hate the scene, I hate this whole thing, because you, these people, they may like the music a little bit, but then they're going for this other thing of, like, yeah. not the music, right? Um, and that's a whole other, you know, aspect of everything, but was there a moment for you, like, with with the Smashing Pumpkins, was it, like, when Darcy left? Or when, like, you know, uh, when, when, no, like, like, did you like Zeitgeist? Like, I don't know. <laughs> okay, yes. All right. So I would say um, when Darcy left, I stuck with them. Machina was great. And it was, I, I loved Adore, even though um, Jimmy Chamberlain didn't play on it. Right. Um, but it was, it was after that. Um, I think they, did they break up for a little bit? They broke up. So I went yeah. to their final. I went to their second to last show in Chicago. Me and you know some other people loaded into a yeah. car in high school, and we drove out there, and uh, it was high amazing. School? Was it high school or was it was that? Was there, uh, I was, yeah, I was. I think it was senior year because it was all. Who would you go I, with? I, I'm, like, I'm interested. Who you went with? See, so yeah, I went with Rob Mazuko. Dude, was was Chris Gasho with me? I think I maybe, know. or Mark, or maybe Mark Romano. Probably Mark, yeah. Probably Mark, yeah. So I didn't know you guys I, went to that. Yeah. Yeah, we drove out and we went to it. It was we we went to the arena show, which was their second to last. They played at the Metro mm. for their last show. So anyway, they broke up, and I kind of thought, you know, that was it. I followed some of the solo stuff, and Zwan. Um, what was it? Zwan. 
Zwan. I did see Zwan. Yeah, I like that record too. I so saw exactly. I was on board. Yeah. And then it was more like Zeit, um after Jimmy left again, after Zeitgeist, they had a new drummer. It was this Berkeley guy, really young kid. He was great, phenomenal. But to me, it just it wasn't it was like Jimmy and Billy Corgan together. That was the sound. But even Zeitgeist sort of, you know, listened to it a yeah. few times. I saw them a couple of times. I saw them on that tour and sort of after Zeitgeist, they put out a bunch of records. I couldn't even tell you the names of them. Like, <laughs> um, and they put out like a series of EPs. It's funny because uh, my younger brother, Pat, he listened to them more. This was more when he was in high school. Right. right. So he loved the Smashing Pumpkins early stuff, but this was when he had access to them as a live band. So he saw them and those records meant a lot more to him as a fan. And we're both Smashing Pumpkins fans, so but we have different takes on those records. But uh, I didn't really, I haven't really been paying too much attention, other than a, an oblig obligatory listen right. um, for the new stuff um, since probably Zeitgeist, yeah. But yeah. I've seen them live a, a few times. But you just went like a couple of weeks ago, right? That's right. Yeah, it was excellent. They were awesome. Yeah. It was one of the best shows I've seen of them. They. Were, they were in rare form. Um, I think that's what keeps kind of fandom alive, even though, you know, I know that's become harder and harder for bands to tour and, you know, make money and stuff like that these days. But like, to me, that's what, with my, you know, you know, Ben folds, like I would go see him every once in a while. And whenever I'd see him, like there would still be like a little bit of like expectation. And sometimes it wasn't met, but then he would just sound so good live. Right. Like it would just, it was such a fun show. So every once in a while I would like try to go see him. Um, you know, when you it's put like a new playing project. the lottery, right? Right. But even with like the black crows, like the black crows, like material, like the, their studio stuff could be like, okay, but you would go to their show and you would know they put on a great show. They, they mix up their set lists every night. And like, so it's like an experience because you don't know what you're going to get. And like when they hit, they hit it. They like, they're on fire, like all the time. Um, or at least they were before they started doing this newer tour where they're just playing the same set list pretty much every night. Um, so like, I feel like sometimes, you know, it's just like kind of the same thing with Wilco these days. Like I'm a big Wilco fan. Like their the album Schmilco was yeah. pretty good. Ode to Joy didn't hit with me as much as like, this, you know, as the other ones, just cause it was so low key, but like yeah. cool cut their new album, cruel countries is good. But like, I would still go see them because even though they their albums weren't like great and they play a lot of material there, when you hear certain other songs, it's just like it makes up the whole night. Like it's just, you know, and that that kind of connection is still there. So if you thankfully, like if you're if the band you're seeing are still putting out are still great live, you can have that connection. I think that's what kind of keeps, you know, people like who are really into fish and like Dave Matthews band, these mm -hmm. bands that just tour and are known for their live performances that's where the fandom kind of can be if even if their their original music is you know that they're putting out is not nearly as uh, important or as good or you don't connect to it as much uh, yeah and you know. and it's, to add on that it's is that these artists they should they should make the music they want to make right and and put out the records they want to put out and then just put on a great show that their fans will enjoy you know like that includes their hits you know i think when when people take uh, an adversarial um, stance with their fans, it can obviously alienate them, but like it can be really bad for the, their live experience. I think Billy Corgan did this sort of thing where he's like, you know, our fans just want us to play like, you know, put out today over and over again and, or they want us to play the hits, but then he was sort of like, so we're going to do like a 20 minute tambourine jam. Uh, just to fuck with them. And it's like, <laughs> hey, buddy, I didn't shell out, you know, 50 bucks, which seemed like a lot of money for a ticket yeah. back then, um, to have you, like, you know, take me for granted as a fan. Like, I think there was a, a guy literally shouted for them to play one of their songs, and then Billy Corgan pulled the guy onto the stage and was like, you're going to tell me what song to play? And it was like, that, I stopped going to see them for a few years. Mm. And then... Pat told me he saw them and he was like, they were amazing and yeah. they're not the same band. Something in Billy Corgan changed and he decided, well, maybe he needed money, right? Is that I, we're going to put on this great, like sort of jukebox set. It's got all the the hits, but then also, you know, deep cuts for the fans, right? right. You know, like 
They played Starla, um, not at this last show, but the previous time I saw them. And it's like one of those songs where you're, you're a fan, you know, they don't play this very often. Right. And it's special for you when you get to see it. And you you can't take your fans for granted. Um, but, you know, go ahead and release whatever record you want. Um, but when people show up in real life, like you just got to give them a good show for fun. Yeah. 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 And, you know, that's that's like always the thing. It's like. Yeah, the hardcore fan, like, I think for me, with going back to Ben Folds, like, as a hardcore fan, I didn't want to hear Brick or, you know, Zach and Sarah or, mm-hmm. you know, um, The Luckiest. Like, you know, I definitely never wanted to hear The like, I felt like, to me, that, that song was so schmaltzy. I hated hearing it live. Like, I hate it. But I wanted to hear, like, you know, Deep Cuts, or I wanted him to, like, make up a crazy song, but not do, like, the whole... What do they call that? Um, Rock This Bitch? Rock This Bitch, yes. So, like, that initially was great, because it was like, oh, it's good. And then it just became, like, Rock This... Like, every show, people would just scream out, Rock This Bitch. He got got tired of it. Here's a Uh a fun little story. Um, So, I went and saw him in college with my girlfriend at the time and a couple college buddies. We went up to Dickinson College. Uh, to see him this in uh, Carlisle, Pennsylvania. We were in Maryland. We drove up, and my my girlfriend and I were right at the front of the stage. And on the show, like people started yelling for "Rock this, rock this bitch," and I said, "No, don't play it. Don't do it." And then I can remember reading like on the message board, someone had said he did a version called "Rock out with your cock out" or something like that. So I yelled that. I said. Rock out with your cock out, or I, it came out rock out co- with cock out, or something like that. I don't remember. <laughs> and so it ended up, and then he went in and like did a thing, and then he went into this like jazzy thing. It ended up going on an EP called Songs uh, for Goldfish, and uh-huh. like you can hear my voice like yelling stuff on there. But nice. it was just like, you know, like that kind of thing gets tired after a while. Like you know, it's like becomes a, a almost like a trope and or a meme of itself and it's just like i can't like that made those 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 acoustic shows so tiresome because it's just like oh he's doing the mm-hmm. same shit all the he's time still doing it we saw him here yeah. in northampton and someone yelled rock this bitch and he yeah. did it and he did a good and it was fun he yeah talked i mean about his daughter came to visit the area for yeah. school and yeah she didn't decide to go here but you know yeah i mean like I think in the, in the moment, the like when I was gone. younger, it was like that's like it was just too much because I'm like I just wanted to get away from this and 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 like go play a song like video or like you know uh, you know how many times can I hear philosophy with the miserloo ending over and over again? It's like mm-hmm. you know play something different. But that was just me because I'm a selfish hipster you know fan like and I want my experience to be like right. I'm, I'm seeing you five times on this tour. Don't do the same shit over and over again. Um, but you know I. I, I totally agree with you is that is that the best bands, the best live bands know how to write a set list. And I remember reading uh, reading Steve Gorman from the Black Crows book when he would talk about Chris Robinson wanting to write the set list. And he's like, fuck those people who want to hear hard to handle every night or she talks to angels. It's like, I'm writing the set list. We're going to play all this stuff. And then those sets would bomb. But when he would mix in, he'd let like Rich Robinson, this is like back in the like 90s or 2000s, like mix in a little bits of this and that. And because you had like the hits and then the deep cuts and then like a cover or something, it was like the best show because yeah. you're hitting all the notes. And, um, you know, that's Admittedly, when... I'm terrible at this. Like the set lists I write yeah. have been, you know, vetoed multiple times and edited by the band recently. And to, to, better effect like they're much better i just like i'm like which song selfishly like as an artist like which one am i most excited about and not thinking necessarily about like you know how's this gonna will this song give people a chance to like go get a drink or bring it down a little bit you know yeah plus i'm new to this whole like party band sort of thing which is what i'm trying to do um it's it's not easy like you just have to get a it takes time and you got to have a boatload of covers and, and, and just a wide variety of them. That's what we're working and, on. Yeah. We worked on love song by, uh, the cure last night. Nice. You and yeah, I, I remember, that. Yep. Yep. We did. That was one of the first songs we learned. And that was mm-hmm. like, that was the only, that's That was how I knew that the cure existed. Like, it was like, <laughs> that was, uh, that was, that was my way into that. But yeah, man, I mean, being a fan, hardcore fan of, of bands can, you know, be tough and nowadays it's even tougher because for me at least it's like can i shell out a hundred bucks to go see a band i've seen so many times 
at a, like a ma- a large venue or, or you know whatever, and you know and I understand from their perspective they're getting just housed by, you know the the uh, concert promoters, but like I don't know, but, it's like that's it's just tough, you know. Do I want yeah. Do I really want to see them that much? That's the question. Probably not. You got to pick your pick your big shows. Maybe you get like or for me I get maybe like two a year. Yeah. Uh, expensive tickets. Um, and the pumpkins was one. I, I owe Steve some money. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's, that's why we should, you know, encourage people to go out to local shows and support their yeah. local arts, become a fan at the ground level. And then you too can complain about <laughs> how big they've gotten and, and how successful I knew them they when they were playing this micro brew down the street. Yeah, that's right. It was, it was me and the drunk and, and a was, burger. And it was the it was best show ever. <laughs> yeah. So, but man, it was great having you back, uh, you know, on the show. Thanks. We should definitely have another conversation. I got so many things that we can probably talk about and talk for hours about. So would love to do it um, sometime. Yeah. So Glenn, you know, thanks again for coming back on the show. Uh, hope you have a wonderful holiday season uh, coming up and, um, you know, we'll talk soon. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode, and a special thanks to Glenn Fan for coming back onto the show. You can check out all of Glenn's bands, which include Bang Camaro, The Fatal Flaw, Thunder Jacket, and Recent History, on Facebook. You can also follow Recent History and Bang Camaro on Instagram. Recent History is at Recent History Music, and Bang Camaro is at Bang Camaro. And that is also their handle on Twitter, Bang Camaro. And they just actually released a new song recently, so that's uh, exciting. Um, and you guys should go check it out. Uh, you can find all of Glenn's bands, all four of those bands, on Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp, you know, pretty much any place you can find music. So go check them out. If you enjoyed what you heard and haven't already, go ahead and follow, like, subscribe, or whatever you need to do to automatically get new episodes of the podcast. We'd also really appreciate it if you left a review on whichever podcasting platform you use or just told a friend or two about the show. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Dad Rocks Pod, as well as on Facebook by just searching up Dad Rocks Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or any show ideas for us, or just want to give us a shout, you can always message us on those social media outlets or email us at dadrockspod at gmail.com. We hope to have one last episode for this calendar year of 2022, our annual year-end episode. Uh, I'm not sure who's coming on, but we're hoping to get the whole gang back together for this one. Uh, So just be on the lookout for that in the coming weeks. Once again, thanks for listening today. And remember, dads, you rock.